Welcome back, my friends, for another episode of the Shema Podcast. I have an episode lined up for you that I think you will find, matter of fact, I know you will find, very inspiring. You know, this audience is sort of broken into two groups. I have many of you who are like me, who grew up in a very secular world, are just beginning to wake up, see the the truth of Torah, and pursue living a Torah lifestyle. And I have many of you who are FFBs from from birth. But there's one thing that we all have in common, and that is we're always faced with a new challenge in front of us. Or like the way I like to frame it more productively is Hashem is creating new learning curriculum for each of us. And we're always focused on learning and growing from the challenge in front of us, knowing good and well that there's another one Another challenge, another set of learning curriculum right around the corner. So we're trudging it out day in and day out, always knowing there's another challenge in front of us. So that is something we all have in common. But I want to share something with you that I think, look at this a different way, to sort of step back from just looking out 30 days, 60 days, one year, and thinking out what we're doing at 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You know, before I moved to this community, there was some people I knew that I had so much reverence for. It was Rabbi Mayor Groninsky and the Rebetzin Groninsky. The Rebetzin Groninsky led the partners in Torah at Torch, and Rabbi Mayor Groninsky was there all the time. He's a scribe. He would write my, or my mezuzahs for us. I mean, he was someone I had such a tremendous amount of respect for and do to this day. But when I moved the community, there was a lot more Groninskys, and I sort of knew how to spot them out. Like if I saw someone davening more passionately or at Simka's Torah just having more excitement, I just sort of knew that's a Graninsky. There's something about them. Even one of my friends at Simka's Torah said to me, like the Graninskys are operating like on a different, higher spiritual level. And I said, yes, absolutely. And I share with him, I said, you know, on my 53rd birthday, which is on the 17th at Tammuz, which is in uh, mid-July this year, I look at that as my, as I'm turning 13. Because I sort of woke up to the truth that there is a God. I started asking myself, is there any logical proofs for Torah? I discerned that that was the case. That all started happening at the age of 40. So I see my 53rd birthday as I'm, I'm turning 13. And I'm having Rabbi Abrams work with me to make sure that I, I know Hebrew and I know the comprehension. I know the sitter well enough that I want to be a chazan on my 13th birthday. And my role model for that is Rabbi Graninsky's son who just had a a bar mitzvah earlier this year. I'm looking at this 13-year-old kid like, that's exactly, I want to dive in like him. And he's so refined with his, his character and his qualities. It's almost like I had this 13-year-old kid who I'm looking up to as my role model. So that's this family. They're on such a prestigious level. And I would have thought to myself for sure, like this family's direct descendants from Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, how could you get to such a high level without coming from just generation, generation of people like this? And yesterday, Rabbi Mary Groninsky introduced me to his father. And this is what blew me away is a friend of mine told me that he was a convert. And just the idea just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, he started off at ground zero and now is a rabbi and the, the patriarch of this amazing family. And you know, I was thinking today that a term that comes up in the investment industry is this idea of multi-generational wealth. Everyone's pursuing it. What I'm here to tell you is that when you stop and think about it, what we are doing 
by learning and growing every day is we are building multi-generational wealth, the true wealth, not like what a lot of the secular world is pursuing. So I asked Rabbi Yisachar Graninsky, Rabbi Mary Graninsky's father, to join us because he has, in fact, done this. He has built multi-generational wealth. And I wanted him to come on and share his story with us and show us exactly how to do this. I thought it would be inspirational for us because sometimes we need to look out, look long-term, and think what it is we are accomplishing in the long-term that's going to fuel our energy on the day-to-day, month-to-month activities and pursuits that we do as Jews. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. So Rabbi Gruninsky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and uh, if we could just start by you sort of talking, going back to the beginning, like what led you in your early years, finally led you to want to convert to be a Jew? I wasn't looking at Judaism or Jew or anything in, for any answers for anything. I left the States in 1970, I, in the middle of, towards the end of the Vietnam War, and the you know, it was a draft. I stayed in college as long as I could and finished college. And, and uh, once I lost my permit, so I was up for the draft. So at first, I, you know, I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to die in the jungles. And um, I thought about conscientious objection, and I tried to do that. And when you, when you, when you, if you're a conscientious objector, they give you this form to write, what do you, what do you believe, Right. Right. The only thing I could think about, the only thing I could thought about was, listen, I don't want to kill anybody. I know I'm a, I like I'm a pacifist. I just, and I, I don't want to kill anybody, but religiously, I didn't have any, you know, there was nothing religious involved with it. Just that I just, you know, just didn't want to. I know I didn't want to get killed. I don't want to. Kill, I didn't want to die in a jungle. Anyway, so right. I thought at first, I thought, well, well, first I'll swallow a fuse induction. Conscious objection was on an option. I couldn't fill out the push it form. So I figured, well, I'll go, you know, so I just won't go in. I'll just won't go in. So the options you had at the, in the time, in the 70s, well, you can go to jail or you you leave the country. Okay. So I thought, I'll, so I'll just go to jail. Just, uh, you know, either be, I'll be a martyr and, you know, go to jail and whatever it is. I finished college. I was working in Boston and I was hitchhiking home one day on a, a Veterans Day or something. I had... I was trying to make make peace with my parents. I was fight, they were fighting me. My father was fighting me about you know my my position with the Vietnam War. You know he himself he when he was in college he had problems in college a little bit and and he his, his father my grandfather he sent him around the world for a couple of times as a purser, assistant purser a purser on an, you know on a, on a ship and he went around the world a few times and it's a long story you know. He always told me, well, you know, the United States is the best, you know, the best country in the world, and you owe it to the country to do your service, the Army. Right. And I said, and I said, okay, I, you know, I agree with that. And he says, so when I graduated from college, he gave me $1,000, and he said, listen, take this $1,000 and go see if what I'm telling you, go to Europe, and go see if what I'm telling you has been true, is true, if what I had hasn't, you know, makes right. any sense to you. 
I got the draft in my head, and I wasn't thinking of going anywhere because I was going to do this martyr thing, going to jail. Right. Anyways, I was hitchhiking, so I was trying to make peace with him about my father. And in the end, so I was hitchhiking home this time, Veterans Day. I got time off from work. I was working in Boston. And um, I was hitchhiking on this entrance on this entrance to the highway. I walked down on the entrance, and the state police came by. The says, listen, you can't stand, you can't hitchhike on the, on the entrance. You have to go up to the... Top at the you know at the the top of the the road there and hitchhike there because people don't stop on the the road going into the highway so right so I said okay so I started to walk back I had my sign you know where I was going and uh, a car stops to me and says hey you want to go you know you need a ride so I said yeah you need a ride I wasn't hitchhiking I was just walking back but they saw that I you know I was obviously trying to hitchhike so the police had didn't hadn't left yet he saw me. Start to jump into a car. Right. Comes over, throws my hands up on the thing, on the on the on a police car, you know what I mean? Searches me, you know, you're not I told you not to hitchhike. Hitchhike. I said I wasn't hitchhiking. I was just uh, you know, I walked out, the guys stopped. I didn't wasn't hitchhiking. Anyway, he says, Okay, you know, he arrested me, put me in jail for the night. I said, Listen to myself, I'm looking at the minimum punishment for refusing induction is two years. I said, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do this in two for two years. <laughs> right. One night was enough. One night was enough. I went back to my roommate. I told him, I said, Pat, you know, my friend, my, Pat, my, uh, my the old friend I had, you know, we were living, living together in Boston. I said, and he, he was, his position was, we're leaving the country. He's leaving the country. He's not going to do anything. He's also against the war. He's leaving the country, and I was going to do jail. Came back, I said, Pat, I'm with you. We're going, we're leaving. So I took the, the, the $1,000 my father sent me, God gave me my graduation present, and I uh, went to Europe. And I spent almost nine months traveling through Europe and Asia. And my view of my politics did not conform to the reality. I saw that as a pacifist, anarchist, or whatever the politics were at the time. I, I said, it's not a reality. I saw my father was right. I said, it's not reality what I'm doing. I owe the American government my service. Well. Wow. So I started going back. So I was, I was in India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey. Anyway, I was on my way back. I got stuck in Turkey. Almost no money. I had saved up just enough money. I was about four months in the East. Mm-hmm. I had enough money just to get into Europe. There's a cholera epidemic in Turkey. And uh, Europe closed the borders. And we were stuck in Istanbul. Okay. Couldn't get out of Istanbul. The only way I could get out was is by plane or by boat. The idea being that if you had enough money to, to buy a boat ticket or a plane ticket, then you wouldn't have come from a place where cholera comes from, sewers. We had enough money for the flight. It was like $35 for the flight to get out. And the two cheapest flights were to Munich or to Tel Aviv. So it was already November. If I went to Munich, they were building the Olympic Games at that time in 1970. And with all $15, having, had, having traveled through Europe, Fifteen dollars. You have to eat and sleep, find a job, wait to get paid. I said it wasn't really a reality because we were used to sleeping outside. So the other option was Israel. Israel was, you know, part of the political thing. The, you know, military-industrial complex was. A, they were like a big player in that. And I said it didn't really politically. I didn't. I wasn't really looking towards it. But I heard about they have the kibbutzim, and I heard there's work. There's work in Israel. So I figured, look, you know, it's. Go south, and I could probably sleep outside. 
and there's work down in the lot. And there's always kibbutzim where you just, you know, you work, you don't make any money. You know, we were, I was, I had planned to go back to the States. We did Europe, Asia, and then we're going we're gonna to do Africa and then jump over to South America, work up South America and go back to the States. And I was going to turn myself in, you know, to the army. I was only about 24, okay. 25 years old. We were, so we're in this hostel in old city of Istanbul. Everybody was, we're, we're all stuck. We can't get into Europe. Everybody's trying to get into Europe. Nobody has any money. There was an Arab there that, he had a he was from the old city of Ushalaim and he had a Jordanian passport. So this was after the after sixty seven. So Jordanian passport. His parents lived in in the old city, so he couldn't get to Israel. He doesn't have an Israeli passport. He couldn't. He couldn't. He was stuck. He was stuck in Istanbul. Right. Anyway, he was dealing drugs in, in, the, in this in this little hostel there, trying to sell it because no one had any money. So we smoked up all his dope, <laughs> and uh, so I talked to him. I says, "Look, what should I do? You know." Should I go to Europe and take a chance of work there, or should I go to Israel? He said, go to Israel. He says, in Israel, nobody starves. So I packed up and took the plane to Israel and got in Tel Aviv, got, took an LL, got there, and we got it when LL flew on Shabbos. I got there on Shabbos. We had to get to a youth hostel in Tel Aviv, so I had to take a cab. Just previous to that, Istanbul is the armpit of the world. It's the worst, you know, I mean, just terrible midot and just terrible people and just not nice place to be stuck. And I had been traveling through all these Arab countries and India and just very, very difficult traveling. I got off the plane in Tel Aviv in Ben-Gurion and the fruit trees, the air was perfumed. And then I got this cab driver and on the way to the hostel, He's telling Jewish jokes. He's telling me Jewish jokes, right? Said <laughs> early. You know, there's Jewish jokes are different from you know. They make fun of yourself. They make fun of yourself. Right. They're not. They're not bad. They're not. You know. They're funny. They're. They make fun of in a nice people way. People convert so they can begin to tell the Jewish jokes. <laughs> yeah, right. And then I was looking out the window of the cab, and I'm looking. I had been coming to these third world countries, and I looked. This is a modern country. What is happening here? I got to the hostel. I hadn't taken a hot shower. In three or four months, they don't have showers in these Turkish baths, and you have, you know, you get to wash yourself up, but they don't have hot showers. And had a hot shower. Anyway, and so my, the Arab in the, in the hostel, so he gave me a watch, a fancy watch, and a letter to take to his mother in the old city. He says, Look, when you go into Israel, go to the old city and give my, this watch and this letter to my mother. So we were kind of like stuck in the hotel, in this hostel. Our plan was really, we either got a find a kibbutz or, 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 or go to Eilat, and money was running out. We really didn't want to stay in the kibbutz because you don't make any money, so we're trying to get to Eilat. Was your friend from the States still with you at this point? Yeah, we traveled the whole okay. trip together, right? He eventually joined the Army and ended up as an officer, you know, he's retired in the American Army. You know. Anyway, I'm still in contact with him. Anyway, so I had to watch in the letter. I had to go to the old city. So went to the, my friend and I went to the old city. I got the letter. I showed it to the Arab kids. It was all in Arabic. Brought it to the, the family. And the, I walked into the, in the, coming to visit this family, and they had a letter. And so there, you know, there was a little bit of excitement in the family. I got a letter from their son, who was, you know, wandering around Europe selling dope. I gave the letter to the mother, and she didn't open a letter. She just took the letter and did it like this. She didn't like it. Held it to her breast. Yeah. And she read the letter and then gave her the watch. And uh, that was it. So I did my, did, I took care of that. In the meantime, we were stuck in a hotel, Arab hotel in the old, in the old city. So this friend of mine and I were traveling a long time. 
together, known each other a lot long years. Used to go out with his, used to go out with his sister. Is that my wife? You know what I mean? You, with this guy, with this twenty four hours a day, you know, all this, <laughs> right. the whole story there. You know, the, the, the hard times, very hard times, in the traveling. So yeah, they stick together. So we got to uh, the, the hotel in, uh, in the old city, and, and we said, whatever money we have left over, let's divide it up. He said, I'll find a kibbutz, and you do what you want to do, and we'll be in touch afterwards. But let's let's take a break, you know, because it was really like it was really the end of the trip, really. Yeah. So uh, he went out one morning and he found a kibbutz and he says, he says, uh, my name is Peter. So I, he says, Peter, you know, I found a I found a kibbutz, you know, and he told me where it was. So he left and I was alone in the old city. So I went out one morning, the next morning, and tried to find this kibbutz office that where I can where you can get onto a kibbutz. To this day, I don't know where the kibbutz office is, but I met three uh, fellow travelers, uh, a girl and two boys. I asked them where the kibbutz office is. They said, well, in Yerushalayim, there's no kibbutz office. You have to go to Tel Aviv. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm down to my last dial, you know what I mean? She said, listen, come with us. We're going up this up to Mount Zion to yeshiva there. What's a yeshiva? This is a religious place. There's a rabbi there, a holy man. He said, any problem you have, he'll solve your problem. And you can stay there, sleep and eat for nothing. I said... That's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> I said, I need a place where I can sleep and eat for nothing until I get my trip together. And in terms of meeting the rabbi, I had just come from India. And I got these holy men all over India, you know what I mean? Long flowing white robes and, you know, mamashtah, you know, the whole story. Right, you've heard, you've heard that before. Yeah, right. So he's a holy man. I said, I'm always, and I said in my head, I'm saying, oh, I'm happy to meet a holy man, you know, a holy Jewish man, whatever. So we go up to Hartzion, go up to Mount Zion. I don't know if the rabbi knew I was who I was or whatever it is. So he comes blasting out of the door of the, the study hall, Brooklyn accent, and asking me if I have any money. You know, rabbis, you know, they collect money. You know, you have an institution, you're a fundraiser. He says, Rabbi says, I have no money. And I just, just need a place to stay, to figure out what I'm going to do. He says, okay, you can stay for a few days. So I had no money. They gave me a, got, a, got a room with a few, a few other guys, dormitory there. So I got up the next morning, so I had no place to go, right? And this yeshiva was for Balichuvas, and it was all in English. He had various rabbis teaching individually in groups. And I just sat in on the lessons there. And I tell you, it just blew my mind. You have so many questions about any, everything, just putting all this spirituality that, you're, that you've been hearing about all your life which you're not really, that doesn't really connect with you, but they're all good questions. Right. Right. And it sort of cut, put everything together. And the more I, the more I listened to it, the more I, you know, I was connected to it. I was staying there for a couple of days. One of the rabbis says, what's your God? What, what are you looking for? You look, what, is, what is your, what do you want of, li- of a life? What's your God? So I mean, it immediately came to mind. I don't know what came to mind exactly, but he said, by us, there's one God. There's just one God. There's God. There's one God. There was a two or three days before I got to the yeshiva, uh, talking to the Israelis, and also you had to go down to the Kotel, right? The holy place. You know, we're sort of like, you know, sort of spiritual-looking seekers, you know. We go to the Kotel. It's a wall, you know. What is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a wall. <laughs> right. Yeah, without, without any background information, it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> no, you know, like, 
you know, and people are what's what's a wall? And yet when we had to go in there, oh, we had a soldier the entrance to it coming from the old city, so coming from the shook. So, so this guy's sitting there, the soldier talking to me, and he's you know he's got an Uzi and he's he's talking to me about you know he looks at me like I guess he realized I was like anti-war or whatever it is. I don't know what he thought. But he's just telling me, like, you know, this is, I don't know, I don't need this gun. I, I don't need the gun. He's talking to me about his gun and how he's Jewish. And you can starve to death in, in Times Square. Right. Right. Here I'm a non-Jew. I come to Israel. And people are, are helping me. Yeah. They're talking to me like a normal, like, they don't know who I am. You know what I mean? Just, they, talk, they talk nice to me. They don't talk that way in Turkey. Right. You know what I mean? Istanbul, they don't talk to you like that, like they care about you. You know, the people care about you. I said, what kind of place is this? What kind of nation is this? <laughs> so I was in the yeshiva for a couple of days, you know, I was trying to extend my stay. So the uh, rabbi's wife, she took, in, took care of all the registering students and the money. She ran the office. And, and uh, so she says to me, listen, she says, this is a Jewish place. You're not Jewish. Only way is, can you, you know, do you have, yeah, you don't have any, you don't have any money, so we'll, we'll send a letter to your parents to pay for, you know, if you want to stay, you have to pay tuition. I said, listen, I'm 25 years old, and um, basically my, you know, I'll pay, I'll get you through college, but you're on your own, you know. Right. You know. He, he, he wasn't really thinking about paying for you. He wasn't. Not your son to go to Yeshiva. Not, not, not interested <laughs> in doing it. It wouldn't be a very, I, I says, I says, forget about it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to, you know, when you don't get it, you won't get it, it won't work. Right. She says, "Well, the only way you can stay here is if, the, if the, since all the students here are paying students, they have, they pay their tuition. The only way you can stay here is if they agree that a non-Jew can can learn in the in the institution." Then she asks me. She says to me, "Do you want? Would you want to be Jew? You know, I, I was thinking, well, like you know, just religious institutions. Happy to take you in." She says, "Well, you know, I'm not going to take you in." And she says to me, "You know, you want to be Jewish." So I, 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 yeah, I says, I don't know if I want to be Jewish. You know, I don't know. She says, well, uh, go take a walk and come back and tell me if you want to be Jewish. So it is a very, uh, it, it, the, the question, do I want to be Jewish? And this is after I've been sitting and listening to the Yeshurim and talking to guys and, and uh, just, uh, just such nice people, you know, after coming from the, you know, going through Europe and Asia, I mean, and I said, do I want to be Jewish? And so I was just thinking, I thought to myself, what am I doing in my life? And I said, okay. I said to myself, okay, you know, I'll give it a try. Right, try. Went back to the Robertson. Now, did you know at that point that you can't just give it a try? <laughs> you're in, you're in. It was clear. But you, but you, were, you were drawn by just the, the, the I friendliness. I was drawn by learning and, and, and just the putting together. The, I mean, Judaism is a system that, that has, there's no holes in the system. Right. Right? There's halakas of which Jew to tie, you know what I mean? You know, you always think about, you have this idea of left and right, and, you know, there are certain ideas that you have, you know, which pant legs you put in first. I mean, I mean, there was a, um, a story, there was a very famous king in Europe. He was friendly with the, with the Jewish community, and he asked the rabbi, you know, this shulchan ark, this rule of law, what's in it? The rabbi answered the king and he said, well, it tells you how to live life. It says, tells you what shoe to put on first, which shoe to tie first. And the king answered him and he says, that's hakma, that's wisdom. Judaism has the right answer for every move you make in your life. Yeah. It's, it's a complete system. 
and it all works and it's all integrated and it's all fits, right? You know, it's crazy. It's that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, absolutely. You know? you know. So anyway, so I went back and I says, okay, I want to be Jewish. So I went back to the rabbi, the rabbi's wife. I went to. I says, okay, go to the Ministry of Religion and, and tell me you want to be Jewish. She gives me where the place is. I'm walking to town. Of course, no one speaks English there, you know. But eventually, I realized, they understood that I want to be Jewish. And so I went to the, the particular guy, that this, this clerk that, you know, takes care of it. He gave me these forms to fill out, more forms. And it's all in Hebrew. So I didn't know. Just, you know, I knew the word shalom, you know. That's about the only thing I knew. I never heard the word Torah, you know. I looked at this huge library in the yeshiva. Yeah. And they had a, a pretty respectable English library. I never heard of this, the books. And I, I was English major in college. I, I knew libraries, and I couldn't believe that I'd missed it. Right. No, really. You know, I missed it. Somehow, you know, I never heard the word Torah. Anyway, so I, I brought, so I brought the, the paper back to the Robertson. I said, you know, I says, you know, it's all in Hebrew again. He says, well, see if you can get one of the guys to help you fill it out. I went around, though. It's, you know, it was technical Hebrew. You know, you know, it's not like simple Hebrew. It's like tentacle, you know, like normal yeah. Hebrew, you know. So I uh, couldn't fill it out. So, okay, I couldn't fill out the form. And my only uh, last-ditch chance, last chance was to talk to the rabbi. The rabbi said, to the rabbi to get the, to over annul the decree that I got to leave. So <laughs> he says to me, no, he says, you got to leave. He says, listen, Rabbi, I got hands. I'll work. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wait, 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 back up. What? I thought they were good with you converting. Yeah, but, you know, but I had to fill out the form. You know and I mean? nobody would help you fill out the form. No, we filled out the form. And okay. uh, he filled out the form. So and I was like, you know, I was like stuck. So I couldn't do that step. So anyways, anyway, the rabbi's trying to throw me out. He saw me. He said, you got to leave. you got to leave. I says, Rabbi, I got hands. I can work. I, whatever you want, I'll, you know, I'll, do, I'll do anything. He says, no. He says, go to kibbutz, go to the kibbutz and think about it a little bit more. That's the rule in Judaism, right? You don't right. take them right away. I met a few friends, and I, I had no money, but, but basically I just had, you know, a couple of dollars left. I had sold my blood in Hadassah for $5, and, you know, I mean, I didn't, you know. They gave enough money, so it was enough money to get to, uh, to, get to Tel Aviv. They told me where the office is. I went to the office, the kibbutz office in Tel Aviv, and um, so the woman there, she's telling me, you know, well, tell me where you want to go. We got a lot of kibbutzim. You know, you have up the north, you got the south, east, west, you know, where you want to go, the desert, mountains, you know, up in the, up in the north where it rains a lot. You have a lot of places, you know, hard up in the north. So it was already winter. So I, I understood, I heard that the work is agricultural work. I told her, I said, I want to go to one of the, the kibbutz up north where it rains a lot. What was I thinking, right? If it rains, it's agriculture, it's outside. They can't work in the rain. Right. Okay. I said, that's perfect for me, right? You know, <laughs> that's very strategic. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it rains a lot. So anyway, so I got this kibbutz up north. I took the bus, got to the kibbutz. I had five agarot in my pocket and a telephone token. Uh, I stayed in the kibbutz about a year, for a year. A couple of kibbutzim, I worked in a couple of kibbutzim. I read everything I could on Judaism. Everything I could. If the, if the author was Jewish, I'd read this book. Wow. Nothing else. Right, I got you know just reading Jewish, had to figure out what Zionism is. What is Zionism? You know what I mean? I couldn't figure out what Zionism. Never heard of Zionism. Right. And then I decided about halfway through the about a half before this first kibbutz, they didn't have an olpan, so I registered for an olpan to learn Hebrew. Went to change another kibbutz. So I had figured I'd get the language down. It was a big stomach block for me. So uh, I went to I went to an olpan. 
during that time, I was on this this ulpan where they, you know, where it's Hebrew, had a bunch of uh, you know Americans and learning Hebrew. Somehow they, I got in there. I don't know how I got in there. The guy that lent me the money, so I was writing him, you know, what I was doing and how I'm still interested in coming to the yeshiva. One of the the atiulim we went on to. I came to Yerushalayim. I left the, I left the group and I went up to the yeshiva. I talked to my friend. I want to come back. I want to come back to the yeshiva. I want to learn. And on the kibbutz, I got the forms filled out. Right. Right. And I registered in Tel Aviv to convert. So that I was serious about that. Got that part. At the end of the um, the kibbutz, it was like a six months or a three months or I forget what it was. So just around Rome, Kippur. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and my friend had, had talked to the rabbi, and I, when I got to the, when I came back to the yeshiva, I had made up my, made up my mind, I'm, I'm not leaving. Right. I'm, I'm not leaving. I don't care what the Rebison says, I'm not leaving. So, of course, I had to talk to the Rebison. You're not Jewish, you have to do the tuition, and then, you know I mean? It's not a free-for-all here, you can't do anything. And so you can't stay. I, so she saw that I was, she got, it, got the message that I was not leaving. You know what I mean? Right. Not listening to it. Yeah. She says, go talk to the rabbi. So I to the rabbi. <laughs> I said, the rabbi, blah, blah, blah. I told my story. He says, okay, you can stay. Work eight hours a day. After do the eight hours, before, after, whatever it is, when you're not working, you can go to classes and whatever do what you want to do. Okay? So I got in. And I basically, I cleaned the basement and I said, it was like, you know, I took care of the dormitories. Clean dishes, you know. I did the shopping. Anything anybody asked, Yisachar was the answer. You know, there I could, right? And I, anyway, eventually I converted and uh, met my wife a few days later, and I got married. And How long were you there in that yeshiva? I did a, a few things, you know. I lived a few places. I did was in on on Mount Zion for about fifteen years. Got married, you know. Got my Hebrew together. Learned uh, shechita. Kosher slaughtering. I learned soft root writing. I learned uh, circumcision. You know, after I converted, you know, you know, built my built myself up as much as I could and tried to learn. And uh, it was about fifteen years. And after marriage and a few kids, the yeshiva, the rabbi was always looking for a community. When I first got to the yeshiva, it was like fifteen guys. Mm-hmm. But it, when I came back after years, about thirty of them. But we all started getting married, having children, and there was no room on Hartzion for all the families. And some of the families, I got there was no room on Hartzion, so the families, you know, rented in the try to stay around with the yeshiva community. They lived in the old city of Ushalayim, very expensive. And the rabbi was always looking for a community. I knew, you know, after Begin got in and they opened up Israel for more for settlements, which under the labor government didn't happen. And when Begin got in and they were open, opened up politically, you know. And what year was this? I got married in it was 78, 70, 76. I don't know, I don't know exactly when Begin got in. It was okay. a few years after that. Anyway, the issue of the settlement works, they need a group. They need a group to start. They can't throw, you know unknown families together. It's just easier to, to get a cohesive group and then they'll they'll place them in these you know, we in the end we we got this um, it was that really an army base in the Judean Hills. They're all on very um, uh, critical sites where they where you have, you know, you, and there's Jews are always in the middle of the Arabs, right? But they're in critical they're high and they give cover that's their security. So anyway got this one settlement. So I had, I had a few kids already, 
living on Hartzion. I moved around a little bit in Hartzion as my family grew and uh, needed a bigger place. And it was like just, it, you know, how many how many kids can you put into a couple of rooms? It's very difficult. So they opened, yeah. opened up the, you know, the, uh, the settlement, Meitzad, and uh, I moved to Meitzad. It was there another 15 years. And then I left the community. My kids got got a little older and I decided that, and, and I was in it's all Baltuva community. And you got a lot of rock and roll, and you have American culture, you mm-hmm. know, that's where, where we came from, and the music and the culture. And it's about Jews, that's what's, that's what's happening, you know what I mean? It's, so, and everybody ever is religious, they're doing the rivers, but it doesn't look religious. They're not, it's not black and white. Right. So uh, I decided, well, I'll, I'll, I'll move to a, a religious, a really religious community. So my wife... Which is related to the, the uh, Rosh Hashiva of, uh, in, the, in the south, Rabbi Sacher Meir, Hashiva Negev, and we had Kesha and we had Kesha with him, and um, we asked, you know, we wanted to move down to his community, so we moved down there. We were the, we were there in the, I was there another fifteen years, and I started working in Shkita and slaughtering, traveling, and working South America, North America, Europe, Poland, Ireland. And then uh, about five years ago, I moved back to the same community where, you know, in the uh, settlement. Okay. And that's where I've been since then. There's a lot of stories about in learning and, look, there's no nation like the Jewish nation. Like I say, you can starve to death in, in, on, in Times Square, you know, and no right. pay attention to you. Jews, they take care of themselves. You know, as a goy, you know, up till 25 and 26, 27, um, it's not, it's... it's it's Yom Valila. The difference between a, a Goy and a Jew is Yom Valila. It's really day and night. And what your, so what your father wanted you to do by traveling around and seeing the compare and contrast him, of Europe I wrote him back. States. I wrote him back after I got in the kibbutz. I said, Abba, you're exactly right. And then I, I missed it. I Just getting out of the States, out of this one culture, right. and going to Europe and traveling through Europe and Asia... I felt like every day it was worth my whole college education. Sure. And the way it opened up your mind. Because now you can see how different cultures, right. what that looks like living and, in those environments. And, you, and especially in India, I got to appreciate, you know, I, I still as a Christian, as a Christian looking at Ten Commandments and Christianity, and they don't hold that. They don't, in India, they don't hold, they're not that, that's not, there's no rules in India. It's like Hindu, they have like, Kind of like, sort of, it's like it's a more amorphous sort of life. You know, they have, they have a whole system of gods. They got war and they got a god of war and a god of wealth and a god of this and a god of that. And they got right. 20 things. And it's like, and I got to appreciate Western Judeo Christian values that I, and when, you, when you're not living it, when you're not living it. Right. You have you have no idea what's happening. You can take things for granted. You naturally. take things for granted, and when you and then, then it's pulled out, and the rug is pulled out, and there are no rules. Then it's very difficult to right. Start. That rebellious it's, anarchy dream is no longer. Yeah, it's like yes. it doesn't work. You know what I mean? No, there has there has to be a moral underpinning. Right. Exactly. Anything. Then to see all that, and then see Israel, that was probably a very stark difference, like you said as well, from United no. States even. I, to this day, I was, why did I, I had a lot waiting for me in the States, you know, I left a lot when I left, you know, I didn't, I just pulled out and left, 
you know, I family there, I live friends and girlfriends and, you know, guys, you know, whatever is, you know, a whole life and, and, and yeah. opportunity. And then I got to Israel and like, I gave it, I just, I just, I just stopped. It just finished. That was it. I just, you know, I wrote my parents and said, I'm, you know, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying. This is where I'm staying. My father, my, my father, my mother says, you know, come home. My father said, listen, you know, got myself together. He said, look, stay in Israel, get citizenship. Jewish, whatever it is, you know, you're happy, I'm happy. Beautiful. Right? A lot of, there's a lot of stories there. That's basically it. How many kids and grandkids do you now have? I have 12 children, and Luke uh, Hashem got them all married. About over 80 grandchildren. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's what I was saying. That's the, the multi-generational wealth. from. Yeah, I came with uh, five, uh, it's, uh, five Aga Road and uh, telephone token, and that's what I got, and I got, uh, you know, you know, Hashem just like just opened it up, you know what I mean? Right. You know, just follow the rules and, you know, just follow the rules. Not just the, not the physically, spiritually, you know, emotionally, and every, every, just life is so fulfilling there. Yeah. It's a tough place to live, you know what I mean? It's the Wild West, is, but, it's, but it's like worth every minute. Worth every minute. Amazing. Just so, I'm just, just I just, I just, like, I just so, I'm so blessed to, you know, Kodesh Boku. And you were talking about, you know, a multi-generational wealth and things like this. And I, I was in Israel and I, this, you know, one of the kibbutz girls, when I was in the kibbutz, you know, she took me around. She took me, she wanted to show me outside the kibbutz. She's showing me around the little villages that are around in, in the area of, of, uh, of Sfat. And I looked around, I said, this, this, this is an old, it's an ancient land. It doesn't look new. It doesn't. I mean, in the city, it looks new. Yeah. But you go outside. It's it's it has, it has like a history to it. And look, the you know the earliest you know buildings in the states. You know, maybe it's like seventeen hundred something. It's a log cabin. Right. You know, I lived in a I lived in a in a place on Hartzion, like the the stones on the floor are a thousand years old, two thousand years old. You know the, the floor tiles. You know what I mean. The walls. Yeah. It's, it's it, you know there's there's history that you, unbelievable history. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you get a sense that you're 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 become part of that fabric of history. It's a perspective of you know in the states you don't get it. You know you know you got George Washington. That's about it. You know what I mean. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know that, that's the. the but there you got Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. That's where they Avram Yitzhak and walked these places. You know what I mean? They, yeah. David and Malik. You know, it's like it's like it's it's it's, it's just unbelievable. The, the history gives you such it grounds you, and to be part of the Jewish nation. You know what I mean? You can't. You can't. There's nothing. Nothing. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Amazing. I'm so appreciative that you shared that story. And, and like you said, and like you're saying, you know, you. I, I had in my head. Oh, I was telling you a story about seeing on the coast. I said, and you and you see the Kodesh Baruch He said, just picked me up out of the the sewer of. I don't want to say bad about you know, but the sewer of the world, right? And brought right. me there to Israel. He brought me to a yeshiva, went to Torah, and built a family. And I, on the kibbutz, I made my mind that when I realized sort of the the Haskakapatis, the um, Personal intervention of right of, of a Kodesh of, of, of Shem in your life. That I said, I got to teach my kids this. I have to teach my kids this, and and I made it a practice in my family in talking. And I have to. That I had to make it 
that that God runs the world, and you have any problems, just call him up, and he'll take care of you. And it doesn't matter. Things are bad. Things are not bad. Things are good, and they're hard. Things are not bad. Right. I like and that. Uh, and once you get get that, and you teach it to your kids. So, I mean, uh, that's what I did. I just pressed it. I you know I tried to to speak in spiritual terms to my children, not not make, not not being crazy about it, but. Just understand. Look, there's a God runs the world. God right. runs the world, and this is what we do. And then and you learn, and you, and you and you learn from the, the mitzvahs and the, and the and the life and the and and community, like a, the communities and in community, you have together. You have such this cohesion, and uh, and it's good, and everything is good. Why did you move into a religious neighborhood? I wanted to live in, in experience. You want to live it. Live as a Jew. You, you have to live it. Without, yeah. Just you know, just fulfill it. You, you can live. You can live with a non in a Danish neighborhood, but you can't get it. Right. Exactly. You, you know, you, you don't share the values of the neighbors. You talk it to the wall. Right. Exactly. They don't. They know what you're talking about. And yeah. and and your children. What are your children? Where are they? Where are they, where are they who are they talking to? Uh, our, ours know. is a, is a belief system that. That extends into daily actions and Every, behaviors. Everywhere. It does, just doesn't end with a everywhere stating a, a belief system, everywhere. and that's it. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. It goes everywhere. And you have to live it. In a, in a, and, you know, I, that's what I did. I tried to stay. I, the whole my since in Israel, I mean, that's what I do. You know what I mean? I, I, I you know, I, I have to be, and also for the family, I have to be a, a dogma, you know. I, I can't. I can't compromise really, you know. You have to be who I am, and that's and 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 talk to my kids. All my kids, this guy also. I, you know, you you want to get it together. Um, you want to raise a family. You want to uh, whatever you want to do. You have to do it with in a, in a Jewish context. You have to do it, and in terms of me, in terms of the in of of every aspect of your life, right? Mm-hmm. You have to live in Israel because it's everywhere. Everybody's Jewish. Yeah, everybody's Jewish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to who you know how, what their level is, but they, they know what you're talking about, right? right exactly. Even, even the ones that are anti-religious, they know they know what the religion is. They, they, they may know. not agree, but they, they know not agree, but they know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, and it opens up worlds. Yeah, opens up worlds. You can talk to a totally non-religious person in in Israel, but and relate to him as your brother. That's all you need. And it's funny, but also the Arabs are the same way. I was living in the, in the, in uh, on Hartzion. And I had to go get a, go to a pharmacy. Closest pharmacy was in in the Arab in Arab in the Arab shook in the you know in the, the old city. Mm-hmm. You know because it's right next door. We used to do all our shopping and everything there. Went to a pharmacy. So I'm looking for the pharmacy, and this Arab, you know, guy is giving me a hard time, just giving me a terrible hard time, in front of this in front of this pharmacy. You know, just not nice. You know what I mean? I says, listen. I said, Ishmael and Yitzhak were brothers. I says, we are brothers, I said to the Arab, uh-huh. right? And he heard it. He says, you're right. Beautiful. Right? Yes. And you got to, and you, if you relate to them, because they know basically what you're talking about. Right, exactly. They, you know. There's, there's no denial. They know the common. Yeah, they got, the, we got blood brothers. We got blood right. brothers. They're blood brothers. First right? cousins. Yeah, but, the, but by the non-Jew, they don't have. They don't have that Kesher there exactly. Yeah, they don't recognize it. They don't really believe that to be true necessarily. Yeah, 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 right. But the Arabs, they, they understand the thing. But, you know, there's a different differences. That's amazing. I'll, I'll just sort of wrap up by saying, like, you know, there's this, this whole idea that there, there are souls that came in this world destined to become Jews. The ones that wanted the Torah when the Torah was given to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. 
and you just look at how God orchestrates events to bring them back in. I- look, everything's a tikkun. Everything is a tikkun. Exactly. Everything's a tikkun. Everything's a tikkun. Absolutely. You have to figure out where, it, and you have to figure out what God wants in your life, and, and not try to control everything, but just sort of. Our job is to follow the Torah, and, let, and then He'll just He'll guide us where we need to be. You do it according to the Torah, you'll be okay. Exactly. Beautiful, Rabbi. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate okay. you talking with us. Appreciate it myself. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.